Hello, everyone. So today, my topic is think about communion. Now, normally we do this, and then we follow that with communion to follow, don't we? But I don't want this just to be like a, another communion sermon, and then we take communion again. I want us to help you, when we think about communion, to learn what it means to taste and see that the Lord is good. It's So not just to think about communion as something you do for just a few minutes on a Sunday morning, but to think about communion on a daily basis, throughout the week, preparing yourself uh, to be part of this communion, to look forward to that time. So I want to talk to you today about communion. You know, when you think about very special meals, they usually go with very special events, don't they? Like an anniversary, or your birthday, or um, Christmas, or Thanksgiving, or some other event that's taking place, and usually around that you go, well, where are we going? Uh, where are we going to eat? You know, what, what are we going to eat? And then we find out about that, and we look forward to it, don't we? We prepare where it's going to be, we prepare the meal if we're going to have it at the house, and we put all that time into it, and then we look forward to that meal, don't we, uh, around that event that's there. And this is, it becomes part of our life memory. You know, the one great opportunity we have to taste and see if the Lord is great is when we regularly partake of the communion, to think about that communion as that special event, creating those life memories as well. You know, for his church, Jesus knew that we needed more than baptism. Now, don't get me wrong. Baptism is absolutely essential. Right? It's such a beautiful picture of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, right? When you are baptized, you're immersed into the water, you are buried with him, right? Uh, when you go under the waters, you are dying to your old life. When you come up out of the waters, you're being raised to the new life. When you take those first steps out of the baptistry, you are taking those first steps into that new life of your journey and that commitment with God forever. It's beautiful, isn't it? We're all commanded to be baptized. But Jesus knew that we needed more than that. Because we're human beings, we tend to forget, right? Baptism is a one-time event in your life, a very important event. But Jesus knew that we needed a constant reminder of what God has done for us and what he continues to do for us. So he gave us communion. And throughout his word, when he tells us to think about communion, he tells us how to get the most out of it, this beautiful meal that he's prepared for us. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. In that video you just saw from Psalm 34, verse 8, taste and see that the what? The Lord is good. Wouldn't that be a wonderful call to communion? Let's come and taste and see what the Lord, that the Lord is good. David tells us in that psalm that we need to praise the Lord at all times. When you are suffering, glorify the Lord. When you are fearful, David says, praise the Lord. When you're worried about life and its difficulties, pray to the Lord. Tell him and he will listen to you and hear you. Taste and see that the Lord is good. When I think about communion, I hear that same invitation from God as we gather around the Lord's table, around communion. We come 
this morning uh, with different needs, don't we? With different things on our heart. But as we take of the communion, we think about the communion, we can think, Lord, as I take this communion, let this week be a time where I will praise you at all times. If I'm suffering, let me glorify you. If I'm fearful, let me praise you. If I get worried about the things that I'm facing in this coming week, Lord, let me bring that to you in prayer, call upon you. Let me taste this, Lord, and know and see how good you are. So see, when you do this, you're understanding that God associates himself with food. I like that. How about you? <laughs> That's why we have so many fellowship dinners, right? But that fellowship with food. He connects it. The word of God is compared to milk and to honey and to meat and to solid food. And when you taste of God's mercy and you taste of his love and you taste of his forgiveness and you taste of his salvation, when you taste of all those things, you understand how God's word is sweet as honey, how it's spiritually nourishing to you, both physically in your body and in your soul and in your spirit. So when you think about communion, you're to think about God as your provider. God provides. I think about the communion and I think about the bread. Don't you? This bread, this bread of life. I think about how God provides. He is my wonderful provider. He's always provided in Exodus 16, it talks about God providing for the Hebrew people, remember? And there they had been led out of Egyptian bondage. They're in the wilderness and they're hungry. They need food. What does God do? He causes some stuff to rain down from heaven. And they go, what is it? What is it? Did you know that's the word for manna? What is it? They didn't know what it was. You know what it was? Bread. Bread of life. God providing. God taking care of them. God understanding their needs. God understand that they need to be provided for. And he, he provides for them. When Jesus talks about God, he says, God provides for our physical needs. When I think of communion, I think how God provides for my physical needs. In Matthew 6, 11, in our prayer, what give us this day are what? Our daily bread. And then a little bit on in the Sermon on the Mount, chapter 6, verse 33, don't worry about what you're going to eat or drink. Your Heavenly Father knows that you need them. What's Jesus telling us there? He's telling us that when you think about God in his kingdom, you think about how God is your provider. When you take of the communion, you're thinking about God being your what? Your provider. He is your bread of life. He is the provisions for your life. When you're in communion, dear Lord, thank you for providing. Thank you for giving me this daily bread. Thank you for all the things that you've given to me. And Father, as I'm giving, uh, partaking this bread with you, help me to be reminded not to be overwhelmed by the needs of this world, of this life. Let, let me not be overwhelmed with worry. Let me be filled with trust and fear, uh, trust and fear that you will take care of me the reverence that you have, that I have for you. Give me that daily bread. But you see, God is the bread of life, provides more than physical, doesn't he? He also, when you think about communion, it's the spiritual provision of that bread of life. When you go back to that story, and Paul tells in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 
He says, look, when you look back at what the Hebrew people went through when they went through the physical parting of the Red Sea, when they were fed the manna from heaven and the water from the rock, it was more than just physical. There was a spiritual element to it. It wasn't just to deliver them from the Egyptian army. It wasn't just to feed their bellies or quench their thirst. In fact, what Paul tells tells us in 1 Corinthians 10 is that they were baptized into Moses in the cloud in the sea, and they all ate the what? The manna, but he calls it here what? The same spiritual food. God said, look, Moses, when people eat of this bread, I don't want them just to think about it being, I'm taking care of them physically. I want them to understand and know that I'm the provider. I'm the one that has led them out of, the, out of Egypt. I brought them here and I am providing for them. I am their bread of life. And I want them to give thanks to me. Remember that I am their provider. And spiritually, this should lead them into a deeper relationship with God. So when I think of communion and I'm partaking of communion, Lord, I thank you for providing for me as the bread for my physical and spiritual needs. You can't help but know that when those hungry people of Israel saw the what is it falling from heaven, they said, oh, great. And they were filled with glad and sincere hearts. They were rejoicing and grateful every day that they had to gather that. They were so thankful that the Lord was providing for them. And they were joyful and they gave praise to God for that. But they're human and like us after a period of time, oh, we got to gather that stuff again. I mean, I've had manna a thousand different ways. I've run out of recipes. This is so boring. I decide to go on Atkins. I can't eat it anymore. You know, <laughs> you know it's just, just, just to get bored. They grumble. They complain, don't they? It became something they were no longer thankful for or joyful about. They, they were now grumbling about it. We're no different. We're human. It's so easy for us to eventually treat something that's very special and very significant as something that's very routine. And it can become very boring to us. And we forget about the provisions, the daily provisions, that God has given each and every one of us. Honestly, when was the last time you really got something out of communion? When was the last time it brought chills up your spine? When was the last time that you felt nourished and strengthened and you tasted and saw that the Lord is good? For too many, they make communion every once in a while because they don't want to become a ritual. For many who take it every week, it becomes boring. It's just kind of an interlude to the worship. We start off with great songs and we have family time together and a call to worship and then then we take communion, I'll get quiet, and then we sing another great song and hear a fantastic speaker, and then we go on from there, right? <laughs> gotcha, see if you're listening. And you were, unfortunately, but anyway, here we are. So we do that, don't we? So we kind of see like peaks and valleys, right? Here's the peak, communion, and back up the peak again, right? See that? And yet what we're told is that when you think about communion, and you think about how God provides, this is a great opportunity to count your blessings and name them one by one. 
Spend the rest of your week listing your troubles, right? No one wants to hear them. Come together, count your blessings, name them one by one. You think about communion and that response to his provisions, Acts 2, 46 through 47. Early church gets together. They're excited to be around each other. They're so grateful God has provided deliverance and salvation and they're breaking bread together. Sometimes that means just a regular meal together. Sometimes it means taking the communion together. But I want you to notice how they did it. They came together with glad and what? Sincere hearts. Nothing boring about this. Boy, this is significant. And they're praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. So when I think about communion, I think about the bread. I think about Jesus being the bread of life. He's the fulfillment of all the food that God talks about and associates with. John 6, 35, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Blessed are they who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. In Jesus Christ is the bread of life. My salvation, my deliverer, my provider, I will never go hungry again. I will never thirst spiritually again for what God has given to me. The manna was given to them in the wilderness. They were thankful and grateful up to a point. The Lord's Prayer says, give us this day our daily bread. We should be thankful and grateful for that. But when Jesus Christ comes into your life and you accept him as your Lord and Savior... He quenches the thirst. He solves the hunger issue of your life. You'll never hunger or thirst again. So when I'm in communion, Lord, let me not worry about today. Let me trust in you as I think about this communion and think about your body. Let me understand that you are my Savior and that you are my bread of life. When I think about communion, I think about God's redemption story. I think about redemption from Abraham to Christ, and how it's all connected together. God chose Abraham and told him that his descendants would be too, too many to ever number, and that out of them there would be a nation by which all the other nations would be blessed. And the journey of redemption begins from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob to Judah, see, to Moses and David and to Elijah and to Christ. And you have those connections together, when I think about communion, I think about how I am linked all the way back to Abraham. All the way back to the promise that God made Abraham about his redemptive plan. Oh, feel it? Understand that? You're not just taking this by yourself. You are connected to God's people and to God's redemption story. And God connects us in a powerful way. <clears throat> in Luke 9, it's a story that takes place on a mountaintop. Peter, James, and John are with Jesus, and they go to the mountaintop. And there, those apostles see something that's absolutely miraculous. They see Jesus in his true nature, his glorious nature. He's praying, the appearance of his face changed, and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Peter and James and John saw that. They saw the spiritual, the heavenly. And then the very next thing they see are two men. Elijah and Moses appear in glorious splendor, talking with Jesus. Now, if you don't know this story, Moses died 1,400 years before Jesus on the earth. If you don't know this story, Elijah's been dead for 900 years. 
And yet here's Peter, James, and John. Can you imagine it? They first of all see Jesus in splendor, and now appears Moses and Elijah. Think about communion. You have to think about there's life after death, right? You have to think about the splendor of God, and you have to think about how God provided. Well, Moses, God provided through Moses the provisions for his people, and through Elijah, (laughs) during the reign of evil King Ahab and Jezebel, God provided through Elijah for his people. What did they talk about? What was their conversation about? Verse 31, they spoke about his, Jesus' departure, which was about to begin to be fulfilled at Jerusalem at Jerusalem. You see, this is a covenant. God made a covenant with Abraham, Moses, Elijah, and now Jesus. And here's the conversation. They're speaking of a time in which Jesus shortly will be on the cross to bring about and accomplish God's redemptive plan that had been put in place all the way since Abraham. What a beautiful covenant. He is our solution to our sins. He's a sacrifice for our sins. So I think about communion, I think about being connected to that redemption, and I also think about God's redeeming grace and mercy that he offers us. You think about this bread, you think about that bread of life. God showed his mercy to Israel through Moses and Elijah. God is our mercy when we take of this bread through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, amen? He's our mercy, and God has always called upon his people to remember who he is and what he does. Wayne read this just a moment ago from 1 Corinthians 11. For I received from the Lord what I pass on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you in remembrance of me. Think about communion. We think about remembering the God covenant of mercy and grace. When the manna was given, God said, save some so that you'll remember how I provided for you. At Passover, which we'll talk about in just a moment, that was celebrated yearly. He says, celebrate this yearly to remember who I am and what I've done for you in delivering you out of Egypt. And here with the Lord's Supper, whenever you take it, do this to remember me. To remember how through Jesus Christ you have forgiveness and grace and mercy. You're a covenant member. You're a child of God. Amen? That's what you think about during communion. And so in 1 Corinthians 11, 26, Paul concludes by saying here, For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So you think about that. And thinking about communion is not so much about a reenactment of Jesus' horrible death on the cross. It's not trying to visualize what that looked like. It's supposed to make us proclaim what his death accomplished. What was the purpose of that death? Think about it. Why, it's the fulfillment of the promise made to Abraham and Moses and Elijah and Israel. Here is Jesus. He's the Christ. He's the Son of God. He is the living God. And through faith in him, your bread of life. You can enter into God's covenant of faith and mercy and forgiveness and grace, and you'll receive eternal life. Beautiful, isn't it? Think about communion as a constant reminder that all throughout your Christian life, that God is your provider. 
I also want you to think about God as your Savior. Think about God as your Savior. Let's link it back to Passover as God did. Now, you hear the word Passover? If you're not familiar with that, let me give you just a very short nutshell of what that was. God is going to get his people out of Egypt. He's brought these plagues upon Pharaoh in Egypt to get their attention, and he will not let go. He will not relent. And finally, God is about to bring the final plague, the plague of death of the firstborn within Egypt. So he says, look, prepare a Passover lamb. And I want you to also take the blood of that lamb and put it on the out part of your house, outward part of your house. I want you to make unleavened bread because you're going to leave in a hurry and you won't have time to let it leaven because you're going to leave in a hurry because Pharaoh, you know Pharaoh, we're going to get out of here as soon as we can. And so we're going to do that. And so if you have that blood of the Passover lamb on your doorpost, when the angel of death comes tonight, it'll pass over you and you will be rescued. You'll be saved. You'll be delivered and so that was the Passover that was instituted. And you read in Exodus 12, 25, when it's being instituted, when you enter the land that the Lord will give you as he promised, observe this ceremony, remember this. So the first time it's about to happen, right? But every other time after that, it's already happened. But on a yearly basis, observe this Passover to remember God is your savior. He's delivered you. He's brought you salvation out of Egypt. He continues in Exodus 12, 26. And when your children ask you, what does this ceremony mean to you? Then tell them it is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians. Then the people bowed down and worshiped. When I think about communion, I, I think about faithfulness. Faithfulness. You know, it says here in these verses, when your children ask you, what does this mean? There's two parts to that. Around your family table, times that you have devotions with them, when they ask questions, you train your children about the stories of the Bible. You explain to them what it means. You're a faithful child of God. You want your children to be what? Faithful as well. You teach them those things. But there's a second part of this story that's more disturbing. It's about adult children who don't know the Lord. It's about when parents are not faithful. When parents are lazy or unconcerned or they stray from the Lord and they don't think whatsoever what it has, the effect upon their children in their home. These children grow up in the home to the point of where they don't even know what Passover is. What, what's this Passover? I was never taught that. I don't know what that means. I think so often in our, our life today, we're so busy, we've got so many things going on. Statistics show how now most people come to church maybe once every six, seven weeks. You know, I always think, what about the kids? They're not coming unless you're coming with them. Does this make sense to you? When I think about communion, I think about my absolute responsibility as a parent to be faithful. I'm going to teach my children what communion means. I'm going to teach my children what it means to worship God. So when they're grown up, they'll know. So I'll never reach a point with them where they're saying, what does that mean? And they don't know because I never told them. 
And certainly, no question about it, that's a heartbreaking situation when your children become unfaithful as adults. No question. I'm not trying to put guilt there. Because some of you did that in your home, and they made the choice on their own. Totally get it. Understand. But you as young parents who have young kids in your home now, get it now. Don't waste time and don't ruin your children's life. Still it in them. When I think about communion, parents, Lord, let me be the parent who's faithful. Teach my children what it means to walk in your way, to trust in you. Let them see that in my life, how I handle my worries and my sufferings and my troubles. Let them see that, Father. Let's talk about it and see that happens. When I think about communion, you can thank God for your salvation, his deliverance from your sins. And, and he links this to Passover. For in Matthew 26, the leaders of the time wanted to secretly arrest Jesus and kill him. And they absolutely did said and stated, we're not going to do this during Passover. We're going to get him arrested secretly and kill him, but it's not going to happen during Passover because the people may riot. How many of you understand by now you're not in control? <laughs> Saw a few hands. Some of you go, me. <laughs> you're not in control, all right? There is a God who's in control of these things. We're not going to arrest and kill him during Passover. Oh. Here's what Jesus said. Jesus said to his disciples, as you know, the Passover is two days away and the Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified. Guess which one happened? Passover link. Taste and see that the Lord is good. He's the God who provides. He's the God who has mercy and grace on him. He's the God who saves. When you think about communion, do this in remembrance of me. Proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. All linked to the deliverance and the provision that God provides. But I also think about communion. I think about the cup and God's forgiveness. The blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ, our Passover meal. Jesus Christ, our Passover lamb, the blood of forgiveness, Matthew 26. Jesus took the cup, and when he given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is the blood of my covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of our sins. When I think about communion, I think about God's forgiveness. Lord, thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for the blood of Jesus Christ. The blood of the lamb on the doorpost saved the people from the angel of the death that day. The blood of the lamb, Jesus Christ, in your life, accepting him and taking that communion each time, reminds you of how you are saved and rescued, that you have your destination called heaven. It's forgiveness. It's his sacrifice, the redemption that we have. It's that new covenant. I think about communion. I think about forgiveness. Now, listen to me. When I think about communion... I think about how God restores. This is, my, this is my opinion here. So people ask me all the time, should a person who's unfaithful take the communion? Shouldn't only faithful people take the communion and unfaithful people stay away from it? 
Here's my take. When I think about communion, I think about the God who restores. Think about a man one time, absolutely miserable in his life, and you anguish over his sinful life. He wants to be rebaptized. I'm not going to rebaptize you. You've already been baptized. You're a child of God. No, I want to be baptized. Why do you want to be baptized again? Because I want forgiveness. I want to be restored to the Lord. You don't need to be baptized again. You need to take communion. Baptism is your entrance into the kingdom. Communion is your communion with God. And we don't wait till we're perfect to take it because none of us could take it. But in my despair, in my anguish, in my grief, when I bring those sins before the Lord and in the communion, it's going to be painful, but you're going to leave that communion nourished, refreshed, forgiven, restored. We took communion together at that moment, and I saw a man who was broken. Tears of joy, saying that he thought his heart was going to burst. So many people say, I can't take communion. I can't be part of that because I'm not worthy. You'll never take it then. I'm telling you, your way back to God is right here. It's in communion. Now, my opinion is not based upon David's opinion, chapter 1, verse 3. Although I got, some, I got a large book with lots of chapters in it about opinions. I'm thinking about 1 Peter 2, 24 through 25. And this is what I shared with him that time. He bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. Hello, everyone. So today, my topic is think about communion. Now, normally we do this, and then we follow that with communion to follow, don't we? But I don't want this just to be like a, another communion sermon, and then we take communion again. I want us to help you, when we think about communion, to learn what it means to taste and see that the Lord is good. It's so not just to think about communion as something you do for just a few minutes on a Sunday morning, but to think about communion on a daily basis, throughout the week, preparing yourself uh, to be part of this communion, to look forward to that time. So I want to talk to you today about communion. You know, when you think about very special meals, they usually go with very special events, don't they? Like an anniversary or your birthday or um, Christmas or Thanksgiving or some other event that's taking place. And usually around that you go, well, where are we going? Uh, where are we going to eat? You know, what, what are we going to eat? And then we find out about that and we look forward to it, don't we? We prepare where it's going to be. We prepare the meal if we're going to have it at the house and we put all that time into it, and then we look forward to that meal, don't we, uh, around that event that's there. And this is, it becomes part of our life memory. You know, the one great opportunity we have to taste and see that the Lord is great 
is when we regularly partake of the communion. To think about that communion as that special event, creating those life memories as well. You know, for his church, Jesus knew that we needed more than baptism. Now, don't get me wrong. Baptism is absolutely essential. It's such a beautiful picture of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, right? When you are baptized, you're immersed into the water. You are buried with him, right? Uh, When you go under the waters, you are dying to your old life. When you come up out of the waters, you're being raised to the new life. When you take those first steps out of the baptistry, you are taking those first steps into that new life of your journey and that commitment with God forever. It's beautiful, isn't it? We're all commanded to be baptized. But Jesus knew that we needed more than that. Because we're human beings, we tend to forget, right? Baptism is a one-time event in your life, a very important event. But Jesus knew that we needed a constant reminder of what God has done for us and what he continues to do for us. So he gave us communion. And throughout his word, when he tells us to think about communion, he tells us how to get the most out of it, this beautiful meal that he's prepared for us. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. In that video you just saw from Psalm 34, verse 8. Taste and see that the what? The Lord is good. Wouldn't that be a wonderful call to communion? Let's come and taste and see what the Lord, that the Lord is good. David tells us in that psalm that we need to praise the Lord at all times. When you are suffering glorify the Lord. When you are fearful, David says, praise the Lord. When you're worried about life and its difficulties, pray to the Lord. Tell him and he will listen to you and hear you. Taste and see that the Lord is good. When I think about communion, I hear that same invitation from God as we gather around the Lord's table, around communion. We come this morning Uh, with different needs, don't we? With different things on our heart. But as we take of the communion, we think about the communion, we can think, Lord, as I take this communion, let this week be a time where I will praise you at all times. If I'm suffering, let me glorify you. If I'm fearful, let me praise you. If I get worried about the things that I'm facing in this coming week, Lord, let me bring that to you in prayer, call upon you. Let me taste this. Lord, and know and see how good you are. So see, when you do this, you're understanding that God associates himself with food. I like that. How about you? (laughs) That's why we have so many fellowship dinners, right? But that, that fellowship with food, he connects it. The word of God is compared to milk and to honey and to meat and to solid food. And when you taste of God's mercy and you taste of his love and you taste of his forgiveness and you taste of his salvation, when you taste of all those things, you understand how God's word is sweet as honey, how it's spiritually nourishing to you, both physically in your body and in your soul and in your spirit. So when you think about communion, you're to think about God as your provider God provides. I think about the communion and I think about the bread. Don't you? This bread. This bread of life. 
I think about how God provides. He is my wonderful provider. He's always provided. In Exodus 16, it talks about God providing for the Hebrew people, remember? And there they had been led out of Egyptian bondage. They're in the wilderness and they're hungry. They need food. What does God do? He causes some stuff to rain down from heaven. And they go, what is it? What is it? Did you know that's the word for manna? What is it? They didn't know what it was. You know what it was? Bread. Bread of life. God providing. God taking care of them. God understanding their needs. God understand that they need to be provided for. And he, he provides for them. When Jesus talks about God, he says, God provides for our physical needs. When I think of communion, I think how God provides for my physical needs. In Matthew 6, 11, in our prayer, what give us this day are what? Our daily bread. And then a little bit on in the Sermon on the Mount, chapter 6, verse 33, don't worry about what you're going to eat or drink. Your Heavenly Father knows that you need them. What's Jesus telling us there? He's telling us that when you think about God in his kingdom, you think about how God is your provider. When you take of the communion, you're thinking about God being your what? Your provider. He is your bread of life. He is the provisions for your life. When you're in communion, dear Lord, thank you for providing. Thank you for giving me this daily bread. Thank you for all the things that you've given to me. And Father, as I'm giving... Uh, to partake of this bread with you. Help me to be reminded not to be overwhelmed by the needs of this world, of this life. Let, let me not be overwhelmed with worry. Let me be filled with trust and fear, uh, trust and fear that you will take care of me, the reverence that you have, that I have for you. Give me that daily bread. But you see, God is the bread of life, provides more than physical, doesn't he? He also, when you think about communion, it's the spiritual provision of that bread of life. When you go back to that story, and Paul tells in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, he says, look, when you look back at what the Hebrew people went through when they went through the physical parting of the Red Sea, when they were fed the manna from heaven and the water from the rock, it was more than just physical. There was a spiritual element to it. It wasn't just to deliver them from the Egyptian army. It wasn't just to feed their bellies or quench their thirst. In fact, what Paul tells, tells us in, Mo, in 1 Corinthians 10 is that they were baptized into Moses in the cloud in the sea, and they all ate the what? The manna, but he calls it here what? The same spiritual food. God said, look, Moses, when people eat of this bread, I don't want them just to think about it being, I'm taking care of them physically. I want them to understand and know that I'm the provider. I'm the one that has led them out of, the, out of Egypt. I brought them here, and I am providing for them. I am their bread of life, and I want them to give thanks to me. Remember that I am their provider. And spiritually, this should lead them into a deeper relationship with God. So when I think of communion and I'm partaking of communion, Lord, I thank you for providing for me as the bread for my physical and spiritual needs. You can't help but know that when those hungry people of Israel saw the what is it falling from heaven, they said, oh, great. And they were filled with glad and sincere hearts. 
They were rejoicing and grateful every day that they had to gather that. They were so thankful that the Lord was providing for them. And they were joyful and they gave praise to God for that. But they're human. And like us, after a period of time, well, we got to gather that stuff again. I mean, I've had man in a thousand different ways. I've run out of recipes. <laughs> this is so boring. I decide to go on Atkins. I can't eat it anymore. You know, <laughs> you know it's just, just, just to get bored. They grumble. They complain, don't they? It became something they were no longer thankful for or joyful about. They, they were now grumbling about it. We're no different. We're human. It's so easy for us to eventually treat something that's very special and very significant as something that's very routine. And it can become very boring to us. And we forget about the provisions, the daily provisions that God has given each and every one of us. Honestly, when was the last time you really got something out of communion. When was the last time it brought chills up your spine? When was the last time that you felt nourished and strengthened and you tasted and saw that the Lord is good? For too many, they make communion every once in a while because they don't want to become a ritual. For many who take it every week, it becomes boring. It's just kind of an interlude to the worship. We start off with great songs, and we have family time together and a call to worship, and then, then we take communion, all get quiet, and then we sing another great song and hear a fantastic speaker, and then we go on from there, right? <laughs> gotcha. See if you're listening. And you were, unfortunately. But anyway, here we So we do that, don't we? So we kind of see like peaks and valleys, right? Here's the peak communion, and back up the peak again, right? See that? And yet what we're told is that when you think about communion and you think about how God provides, this is a great opportunity to count your blessings and name them one by one. Spend the rest of your week listing your troubles, right? No one wants to hear them. Come together, count your blessings, Name them one by one. You think about communion and that response to his provisions, Acts 2, 46 through 47. Early church gets together. They're excited to be around each other. They're so grateful. God has provided deliverance and salvation, and they're breaking bread together. Sometimes that means just a regular meal together. Sometimes it means taking the communion together. But I want you to notice how they did it. They came together with glad and what? Sincere hearts, nothing boring about this. Boy, this is significant. And they're praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. So when I think about communion, I think about the bread. I think about Jesus being the bread of life. He's the fulfillment of all the food that God talks about and associates with. John 6, 35, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Blessed are they who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. In Jesus Christ is the bread of life, my salvation, my deliverer, my provider. I will never go hungry again. 
I will never thirst spiritually again for what God has given to me. The manna was given to them in the wilderness. They were thankful and grateful up to a point. The Lord's Prayer says, give us this day our daily bread. We should be thankful and grateful for that. But when Jesus Christ comes into your life and you accept him as your Lord and Savior, he quenches the thirst. He solves the hunger issue of your life. You'll never hunger or thirst again. So when I'm in communion, Lord, let me not worry about today. Let me trust in you as I think about this communion and think about your body. Let me understand that you are my Savior and that you are my bread of life. When I think about communion, I think about God's redemption story. I think about redemption from Abraham to Christ and how it's all connected together. God chose Abraham and told him that his descendants would be too, too many to ever number. And that out of them, there would be a nation by which all the other nations would be blessed. And the journey of redemption begins from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob to Judah. See, to Moses and David and to Elijah and to Christ. And you have those connections together. When I think about communion, I think about how I am linked all the way back to Abraham. All the way back to the promise that God made Abraham about his redemptive plan. Oh, feel it? Understand that? You're not just taking this by yourself. You are connected to God's people and to God's redemption story. And God connects us in a powerful way. <clears throat> in Luke 9, it's a story that takes place on a mountaintop. Peter, James, and John are with Jesus, and they go to the mountaintop. And there, those apostles see something that's absolutely miraculous. They see Jesus in his true nature, his glorious nature. He's praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Peter and James and John saw that. They saw the spiritual, the heavenly. And then the very next thing they see are two men. Elijah and Moses appear in glorious splendor, talking with Jesus. Now, if you don't know this story, Moses died 1,400 years before Jesus on the earth. If you don't know this story, Elijah's been dead for 900 years. And yet here's Peter, James, and John. Can you imagine it? They first of all see Jesus in splendor, and now appears Moses and Elijah. Think about communion, you have to think about there's life after death, right? You have to think about the splendor of God, and you have to think about how God provided. Well, with Moses, God provided through Moses the provisions for his people, and through Elijah, <coughs> during the reign of evil King Ahab and Jezebel, God provided through Elijah for his people. What did they talk about? What was their conversation about? Verse 31, they spoke about his, Jesus' departure which was about to begin to be fulfilled at Jerusalem, at Jerusalem. You see, this is a covenant. God made a covenant with Abraham, Moses, Elijah, and now Jesus. And here's the conversation. They're speaking of a time in which Jesus shortly will be on the cross to bring about and accomplish God's redemptive plan that had been put in place all the way since Abraham. What a beautiful covenant. He is our solution to our sins. He's a sacrifice for our sins. So I think about communion. I think about being connected to that redemption. And I also think about God's redeeming grace and mercy that he offers us. You think about this bread. You think about that bread of life. God showed his mercy to Israel through Moses and Elijah. 
God is our mercy when we take of this bread through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen? He's our mercy. And God has always called upon his people to remember who he is and what he does. Wayne read this just a moment ago from 1 Corinthians 11. For I received from the Lord what I pass on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you in remembrance of me. Think about communion. We think about remembering the covenant of mercy and grace. When the manna was given, God said, save some so that you'll remember how I provided for you. At Passover, which we'll talk about in just a moment, that was celebrated yearly. He says, celebrate this yearly to remember who I am and what I've done for you in delivering you out of Egypt. And here with the Lord's Supper, whenever you take it, do this to remember me. To remember how through Jesus Christ you have forgiveness and grace and mercy. You're a covenant member. You're a child of God. Amen? That's what you think about during communion. And so in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six, 26, Paul concludes by saying here, For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So you think about that. And thinking about communion is not so much about a reenactment of Jesus' horrible death on the cross. It's not trying to visualize what that looked like. It's supposed to make us proclaim what his death accomplished. What was the purpose of that death? Think about it. Why, it's the fulfillment of the promise made to Abraham and Moses and Elijah and Israel. Here is Jesus. He's the Christ. He's the Son of God. He is the living God. And through faith in him, you're bread of life. You can enter into God's covenant of faith and mercy and forgiveness and grace, and you'll receive eternal life. Beautiful, isn't it? Think about communion as a constant reminder that all throughout your Christian life, that God is your provider. I also want you to think about God as your Savior. Think about God as your Savior. Let's link it back to Passover as God did. Now, you hear the word Passover? If you're not familiar with that, let me give you just a very short nutshell of what that was. God is going to get his people out of Egypt. He's brought these plagues upon Pharaoh in Egypt to get their attention, and he will not let go. He will not relent. And finally, God is about to bring the final plague, the plague of death of the firstborn within Egypt. So he says, look, prepare a Passover lamb, and I want you to also... Take the blood of that lamb and put it on the out part of your house, outward part of your house. I want you to make unleavened bread because you're going to leave in a hurry and you won't have time to let it leaven because you're going to leave in a hurry because Pharaoh, you know Pharaoh, we're going to get out of here as soon as we can. And so we're going to do that. And so if you have that blood of the Passover lamb on your doorpost, when the angel of death comes tonight, it'll pass over you. And you will be rescued, you'll be saved, you'll be delivered. And so that was the Passover that was instituted. And you read in Exodus 12, 25, when it's being instituted, when you enter the land that the Lord will give you as he promised, observe this ceremony, remember this. So the first time it's about to happen, right? But every other time after that, it's already happened. 
But on a yearly basis, observe this Passover to remember God is your Savior. He's delivered you. He's brought you salvation out of Egypt. He continues in Exodus 12, 26. And when your children ask you, what does this ceremony mean to you? Then tell them it is the Passover sacrifice of the Lord who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians. Then the people bowed down and worshiped. When I think about communion, I, I think about faithfulness. Faithfulness. You know, it says here in these verses, when your children ask you, what does this mean? There's two parts to that. Around your family table, times that you have devotions with them, when they ask questions, you train your children about the stories of the Bible. You explain to them what it means. You're a faithful child of God. You want your children to be what? Faithful as well. You teach them those things. But there's a second part of this story that's more disturbing. It's about adult children who don't know the Lord. It's about when parents are not faithful. When parents are lazy or unconcerned or they stray from the Lord and they don't think whatsoever what it has, the effect upon their children in their home. These children grow up in the home to the point of where they don't even know what Passover is. What, what's this Passover? I was never taught that. I don't know what that means. I think so often in our, our life today, we're so busy. We've got so many things going on. Statistics show how now most people come to church maybe once every six, seven weeks. You know, I always think, what about the kids? They're not coming unless you're coming with them. Does this make sense to you? When I think about communion, I think about my absolute responsibility as a parent to be faithful. I'm going to teach my children what communion means. I'm going to teach my children what it means to worship God. So when they're grown up, they'll know. So I'll never reach a point with them where they're saying, what does that mean? And they don't know because I never told them. And certainly, no question about it, that's a heartbreaking situation when your children become unfaithful as adults. No question. I'm not trying to put guilt there. Because some of you did that in your home, and they made the choice on their own. Totally get it. Understand. But you as young parents who have young kids in your home now, get it now. Don't waste time and don't ruin your children's life. Still it in them. When I think about communion, parents, Lord, let me be the parent who's faithful. To teach my children what it means to walk in your way, to trust in you. Let them see that in my life, how I handle my worries and my sufferings and my troubles. Let them see that, Father. Let's talk about it and see that happens. When I think about communion, you can thank God for your salvation, his deliverance from your sins. And, and he links this to Passover. For in Matthew 26, the leaders of the time wanted to secretly arrest Jesus and kill him. And they absolutely did said and stated, we're not going to do this during Passover. We're going to get him arrested secretly and kill him, but it's not going to happen during Passover because the people may riot. How many of you understand by now you're not in control? <laughs> Saw a few hands. 
Some of you go, man, <laughs> you're not in control, all right? There is a God who's in control of these things. We're not going to arrest and kill him during Passover. Oh, here's what Jesus said. <laughs> Jesus said to his disciples, as you know, the Passover is two days away and the Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified. Guess which one happened? Passover link. Taste and see that the Lord is good. He's the God who provides. He's the God who has mercy and grace on him. He's the God who saves. When you think about communion, do this in remembrance of me. Proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. All linked to the deliverance and the provision that God provides. But I also think about communion. I think about the cup and God's forgiveness. The blood of the Lamb. Jesus Christ, our Passover meal. Jesus Christ, our Passover lamb. The blood of forgiveness. Matthew 26, Jesus took the cup and when he given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it all of you. This is the blood of my covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of our sins. When I think about communion, I think about God's forgiveness. Lord, thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for the blood of Jesus Christ. The blood of the lamb on the doorpost saved the people from the angel of the death that day. The blood of the lamb, Jesus Christ, in your life, accepting him and taking that communion each time, reminds you of how you are saved and rescued, that you have your destination called heaven. It's forgiveness. It's his sacrifice, the redemption that we have. It's that new covenant. I think about communion. I think about forgiveness. Now listen to me. When I think about communion, I think about how God restores. This is, my, this is my opinion here. So people ask me all the time, should a person who's unfaithful take the communion? Shouldn't only faithful people take the communion and unfaithful people stay away from it? Here's my take. When I think about communion, I think about the God who restores. Think about a man one time, absolutely miserable in his life, I knew, anguish over his sinful life. He wants to be rebaptized. I'm not going to rebaptize you. You've already been baptized, you're a child of God. No, I want to be baptized. Why do you want to be baptized again? Because I want forgiveness. I want to be restored to the Lord. You don't need to be baptized again. You need to take communion. Baptism is your entrance into the kingdom. Communion is your communion with God. And we don't wait till we're perfect to take it because none of us could take it. But in my despair, in my anguish, in my grief, when I bring those sins before the Lord, and in the communion, it's going to be painful. But you're going to leave that communion nourished, refreshed, forgiven. He restores. We took communion together at that moment. And I saw a man who was broken. Tears of joy. Saying that he thought his heart was going to burst. 
So many people say, I can't take communion. I can't be part of that because I'm not worthy. You'll never take it then. I'm telling you, your way back to God is right here. It's in communion. Now, my opinion is not based upon David's opinion, chapter 1, verse 3. Although I got, some, I got a large book with lots of chapters in it about opinions. I'm thinking about 1 Peter 2, 24 through 25. And this is what I shared with him that time. He bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray. But now you've returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Those wounds that need to be healed are your spiritual wounds. I'm sure you have some physical, physical wounds that need to be healed. We need to bring all prayers before God, physical and spiritually and mentally. There are people who are hurting in deep anguish. Maybe you here today, wounded by life. You're a child of God. Do you see that? By his stripes, you are healed. In communion, communion, you have the opportunity to examine your spiritual life, to think of what he's done for you. And Lord, you can say, Lord, I bring my sins to you. The sins I cannot endure. I, through your cup, plead for your forgiveness. Through your bread, I want your life. Forgive me. Restore me. I don't want to stray any longer. I want to return to you as the shepherd and overseer of my soul. Communion restores you. It restores you. You need to partake of it, whatever state you're in, and come away from it with the nourishment and provision God has provided. Oh, my time is quickly going. Just let me give you one more. Think about communion, and we're a family of God. A loving family of God, joyful and sincere hearts. We are all brought here today with many different needs, but we all have one common Lord one common Savior, and we're part of one big, wonderful family, and we're told to taste and see that the Lord is good. Now, churches do communion different ways, very moving ways. We're in a circle here. We got one table, right? But I want you to think about your family table. How many of you enjoyed kids growing up and the family meal times when you all get together and you have those family times together. You know, I, I think about communion and family time around a table as a time to equip and train each other. You know, around the family table, you learn so much about life, don't you? You have to learn manners. Please pass the peas. <laughs> Make sure you get on the right side and not the other way so they don't meet in the middle. How you hold your fork. Where to put your napkin. Don't use your sleeve, you know. Don't eat with your mouth open. All those important things in life that are supposed to help you. We learn all sorts of things about conversation. Don't interrupt dad when he's talking. <laughs> Wait your turn. Be a better listener. 
talk about things. You share what's on your heart around the table. Sometimes it's happy. Sometimes it's sad. Sometimes it's concerned. But you learn how to talk with each other respectfully. You learn how to bond together and love each other. And you know their strengths. They know your strengths. You know their weaknesses. You know, you know what, what nerve to pick on, right? <laughs> All those things. That, are you getting what I'm saying? But there's a bonding. Oh, and respect. You know, a family table disintegrates real quick without respect. To honor your father and mother, to honor your brother or sister, to treat each other with respect, not to pick on each other, to let remind everyone, anyone, someone else out there may put you down, but at this family table, no one puts you down. We honor each other. We love each other. We take care of each other. We help each other grow and mature. So when I think about communion, I think about this family. And how we teach others, teach each other what to do. This word of God that grows is the milk, the honey, the meat, the solid food. How we grow in that spiritual feast, understand that God's abundant supply never runs out. That for every one of us here today, he can meet our needs. And it's not emptying his treasure house one bit. It makes you, when you think about that, not to want to miss any meal. You want to be at the meal because you don't want to miss out. That's what I think about when I think about communion. Thinking about communion and how it helps me grow. Hebrews 5.14, that solid food will help you grow to distinguish from good and evil. Lord, in communion, as I think about this, help me to grow so I can distinguish from good and evil. Is this good or is this bad? Is this right or is this wrong? Teach me to be able to distinguish that. 1 Peter chapter 2, I want to crave your word so much, Lord. Crave it so much that I can grow up in your salvation. I want to grow up and be mature. And here it is, now that you have tasted, see it, that the Lord is what? Good. He connects it back to Psalm 34. Grow in your salvation. Taste that the Lord is good. And then 1 Corinthians eleven thirty three. when you come together, brothers, we're coming together and sisters to eat together. And then Romans 12, 5, we all have many different functions, many things we do, but we form the one body and each member belongs to all the others. See, there's a lot to think about when you think about communion. Amen? Put it to where God wants you to use it and to grow spiritually the way he wants you to do that. Let's stand together. Now, there's a book out at the Welcome Station called Preparing for the Lord's Supper. And if you'd like to find out more about the Lord's Supper, please take them. They're free and give them to someone else that may not know about it, but hope this will help you in your relationship with God. Man, we thought so much about communion today. God is our provider, our redeemer, his mercy, his forgiveness. He's my restorer. Uh, we thought about communion in terms of how we're a loving family that serves together and works together and how we're to be fulfilling all the one another verses in the Bible and how God wants us to grow and mature together. There's one more, and I want to close with this one. This one, this one what's that? Close with this one. <laughs> I want you to think about communion in terms of God's eternal home, because this is what Jesus said. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new in my Father's kingdom. Now, how many of you heard that the Lord's Supper is called the Last Supper in Matthew? 
How many of you heard? Raise your hand. You heard it as a Last Supper. How many of you know that's not true? It's not the Last Supper. If this was your last Sunday and you have taken communion, it will not be the last time you take of communion. What does Jesus say? The Last Supper is in heaven. We get to take it with him. And that, that feast never ends that we have together. It's the real supper, the real communion that God encourages to be part of. And I hope that you'll make that decision if you hadn't already today to be part of that communion with the Lord. I hope this lesson's encouraged you today, strengthen you in your faith with the Lord. I hope that you will understand this week as we go out and serve the Lord and live for Him, I pray that you will praise the Lord in all that you do. If you run into suffering, would you exalt Him as Lord? If you find yourself in areas where you're very fearful, would you praise Him as Lord? When you find yourself this week worried about something in this life and not sure how it's going to work out, would you pray to the Lord and call upon Him? But would all of us leave here today determined to taste and see that the Lord is what? Good. He is so good. Amen? In Jesus' name, amen. If you'd like to place membership, be baptized, or to have prayer offered you. Larry will meet you at this front bench as we now sing this next song. David.